the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The past few weeks we have been discussing how the creation story in Genesis is a story about the building of a temple. A temple built not by human hands, but the very hands of God. A temple so glorious, it encompasses the entire created world. And just like any ancient temple, the image of God would be placed in the most important place, the central place of that temple. And amazingly, that's exactly what happens in the creation story. But the remarkable plot twist is that we are that image. You and me, human beings, are the image and likeness of God. We were placed in the center of this beautiful temple as God's image and likeness. Of course, we have also been sadly discussing how we turned out to be not such a great likeness. Maybe if you were God, you would have liked to call up the likeness maker and ask for a warranty replacement. But of course, God knew he only had himself to blame, so to speak. God had a, made a choice to endow us with free will. What else could he have done? Well, I presume a lot of things. He's God, and we believe he could have surely done whatever he wanted. He could have created us as mere servants, slaves, robots, or drones. However, we would not have really been a fitting image of God if we were missing the free will that's a very part of the nature of God. If he could do whatever he wished, what he wanted to do was his image to be able to do the same. Of course, we also believe that he did this with complete foreknowledge of what was going to happen. He knew we'd fail, and he did it anyway. It seems fair for a reasonable person to ask the question, why? And the answer is love. Love. No one goes around saying God is free will. And of course, we believe he's the freest being there is. I just said, and the Bible and church tell us that God can do anything he wants. Yet no one, at least no one except perhaps some theologian or philosopher type, would go around saying God is free will. Yet he is. And we do frequently and emphatically, though, state, on the other hand, that God is love. And how could we be in his image if we couldn't love? And to love requires free will, right? You can't make someone love you. And of course, if you believe that you had, it would be some sort of diluted sort of enslavement of that other person. Love requires free will. And we, brothers and sisters, are created in the image and likeness of love itself. But just as we fail to love our neighbors as ourselves, we failed to love God in the garden and continue to show a lack of love for God all too often in our daily lives. We fail to live up to the image of love we were created in. Most of the time, we talk about how we should be more like Jesus. We say, what would Jesus do? And in Jesus' love for us, we see a self-emptying, humble, and self-sacrificial love that's a major part of what has been revealed to us about what the love of God is. A key piece of love that we need to return to each day. It is the cross we must bear. A cross of love that, too, will make us dead to the world, will crucify us, if we, if we truly follow in it. If you turn on the TV, watch a movie, listen to the newest music, you'll see what our world believes love to be. Sappy Hallmark cards, fancy dates, expensive gifts like cards and jewelry exchange, sex regardless of whether there's any commitment or other intimacy. Most of these images we see make love a selfish rather than a selfless thing. They make it about what someone else would do for you 
rather than what you will do for them. Yet I hope anyway that you do occasionally on TV or in movies see examples of the real kind of love in there. Examples of self-sacrificing love like God has for us. But let's be honest, tuning out all those other countless subliminal images that love is anything and everything except what Jesus did is hard to do. I hope that by coming here to the Advent, you at least get several times the dose of what real love is about than you would if you were fending for yourself out there, outside these walls. And today I'm going to continue to challenge you about love. I'm going to continue to push your envelope, our envelope, about what real love is about. That same real love that we were created in the image and likeness of the love of God. This story of love reinforces all the love we see demonstrated by Jesus but in some cases teaches us new and different aspects, yet completely complementary ones that also challenge the things we too often hear about love from the world. Today is Trinity Sunday, a day the church has set aside in her wisdom to celebrate the Holy Trinity, the mystery of the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Each fully God, but each a separate person with unique characteristics that each person does not share with the other three and yet one God. If that starts to make your head hurt, then you're not alone. It is a deep mystery, and no matter how well one can explain it, it leaves open a few paradoxical aspects that have to be held in tension. Yet you do not need a doctorate in divinity to gain considerable wisdom about what, what love is from understanding more about the Trinity. First, the world tries to teach us that if there is a structure, a hierarchy, then there, then there cannot be equality, much less equity. In other words, the world says for things to work, someone must be the boss. Someone has to have power and someone else has to listen to them. Yet the Trinity shows us something different. The Father is called the Father for good reason. From the Father, the Son was eternally begotten, and from the Father, the Spirit is eternally proceeding. So in the divine ordering, the Father is the source of the Son and the Holy Spirit, which indeed makes the Father in some sense greater. Now, don't take my word for it. Hear Jesus himself say in St. John's Gospel that the Father is greater than himself. Or hear St. Basil here on this point. Since the Son's origin is from the Father in this respect, the Father is greater as cause and origin. Wherefore also the Lord said thus, my Father is greater than I, clearly, in as he is the Father. Yea, what else does the word Father signify unless the being cause and origin of that which is begotten of him? End quote. Yet, when we try to apply our human nature to this way in which the Father is greater, then we somehow begin to think that the Father is more powerful than the Son. Yet this is not the case. Again, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, for that matter, share the same nature and every action that one person of the Trinity takes is completely intertwined in the will of the other. So in God, there's not a hierarchy of power, but rather an ordering. The Greek word is taxis. Hey, Bella, what's a word that's spelled, uh, you know, that's, that's spelled differently but sounds the same? What? what? Jeans. No, well, jeans was an example, right? Yeah, what kind of word is that? You've been, you've been interested in these. Jeans or pants you wear, but they're also the things in your body and they're spelled different, but they sound the same. That's a homophone, right? Well, taxis 
taxis is a homograph, a homograph, because it's written the same way as the word taxis. So taxis and taxis, anyway. Homograph, remember that one. All right, so if you need to know how to spell taxis, it's spelled just like taxis, but it's said differently. So it's not a homophone, it's a homograph, because it's written the same way. Anyway, so there is a taxis, an ordering of the Trinity. And yet all three persons of the Trinity are completely equal. As Orthodox Christians who believe we are created in the image and likeness of God, we try not to anthropocize God. That word means that we try to avoid thinking of God in human terms. And yet, of course, the Bible is full of such language. So I don't want you to come away thinking there's some ban on that kind of talk or something. After all, it can help us to put God's actions in, into human terms. For example, we say that God is a jealous God because he loves us so much that he'll do anything to win our love back from the things we idolize. Yet we need to still remember that when we say God is jealous, he really isn't. Or if he is, it's such a hyped up form of jealousy that we're using that word to describe something superhuman. It doesn't really mean what we mean in the human sense. And instead of thinking of God as some sort of superhuman, it's generally better that we should think of ourselves as some sort of little God. Because that's the primary way we can get our thinking right about what it means to be a human being, about what sets us apart from the animals, indeed from the rest of creation. Instead of anthropomorphizing God, we must theopize humans. We need to think of ourselves and view ourselves as little gods. Again, in the image and likeness, not in the nature way. Thus we know as Orthodox Christians, what we know about human beings as Orthodox Christians has to flow from our theology, our study of God. And when we do this, we must think about what does the nature of the Trinity teach us about human nature? And that brings me back to the main message of this first point. Just as the Trinity has a taxis, and yet all three persons are fully equal, a mystery, there's a similar mystery in our human nature. There is a certain natural order among men and women that we see in some aspects of our church and life outside the church. And the one that people tend to focus on the most in the Orthodox Church is that men can only be clergy. So I'll take that one for a second. I like to point out that it's more than just being a man somehow automatically qualifies you to be clergy. Only certain men can be clergy. For example, those who have only been married once, etc. Why? I don't know. This is a mystery. Just as it's a mystery why God has revealed himself as father and son and not as mother and daughter. Yet under no circumstance are men and women unequal in any way. As Orthodox Christians, we believe in the absolute equality of men and women. In fact, it's remarkable in our world that people are talk as though the Christian church somehow is keeping men and women unequal when we, the Christian church itself is the reason, the fundamental reason in Western society that men and women are equal. It's remarkable how people twist history. As, as Orthodox Christians, again, we believe in the absolute equality of men and women. So as I ponder this mystery about why there are certain roles, certain ordering that happens in the church, some of you may also find it challenging, especially in this so-called progressive world. But then I turn to the Trinity, 
And in part, when I then use that to theopize humankind, it helps me to understand this mystery more deeply, even if I'm still left with a mystery that I have to be obedient to. And that brings me to the second kind of love we see in the Trinity. Although we've already mentioned the freedom of God, we need to understand that means that each of the persons of the Trinity are completely free. Yet something remarkable happens. They fully cooperate in their love. Unlike our human love, where again, we too often are selfish, trying to fill ourselves up with what we need and get others to do what we want. The persons of the Trinity are always in perfect cooperation with each other, even though they're completely free. Imagine if all of us human beings could find true unity, true cooperation, rather than all the conflict we instead choose to engage in. Wouldn't the world really, truly be a better place? But we as Orthodox Christians know that true unity will only come when we all unite ourselves and conform, that is, make our wills obedient to that of God. That's the unity we seek. And third and finally, we do see a sacrificial love in the Trinity that emphasizes and complements the sacrifice of Christ. Of the members of the Holy Trinity, the Son incarnate in Jesus Christ was not the only one to make a sacrifice. The Father made a sacrifice by eternally begetting the Son and eternally preceding the Spirit. We don't know all the inner workings of this. I'm not going to go very deeply here because I'm sure these are one of my opportunities to stray into error that you'll be calling the bishop about. But presumably, the Father could have remained alone with all the power. But again, he could do that because he's capable of whatever he chooses, but instead made the choice to share it maybe even taking a risk, as the persons, again, are free to do what they want, just like we were. And perhaps something different could have happened where they didn't all cooperate, even though that appears to be outside the divine nature. I want to be clear about that. The Father also made a sacrifice of his Son, right? Perhaps one of you listening has been through the unimaginable pain of losing a child. As a parent of two young children, I can't even begin to imagine what that would be like. Yet the Father did it, and he did it freely because he loved you and me, just as the Trinity as a whole loves us. And finally, the Holy Spirit has made a sort of sacrifice too. Jesus descended to earth to walk among us like as in the garden. But the Holy Spirit, as we celebrated last week on Pentecost, has come to dwell within us, to walk in us in a dramatic counterpoint, the temple of creation, that we were created to be with the image of God, with us being the image of God within it, has we, the, that image has now become the temple of God. He has taken up and placed not a mere image in the body, in the temple of his, of his body, but has filled us up with his entire presence. The Shekinah glory now dwells within us connecting us intimately with Jesus and through him to the always ineffable Father. Brothers and sisters, we celebrate today the love of God. We have such an awesome and amazing God who shows us a different kind of love than most everything else we see in our world. Let us work to trust God, to learn that we can each work fully and freely, cooperatively with each other, 
whether for reasons beyond our understanding or for reasons within that understanding, there is some good order, we need to assume it exists for a purpose. We are equals in the eyes of the Lord and should always strive to ensure that we consider everyone to be our equal and to help others see that our fellow humans are equal, no matter their sex, their race, their ethnicity, etc. We are all created equal. You are all equally loved by God. No matter what you've done, where you're going, God loves you and will not forsake you. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one, yet three. What an amazing truth. Let us ponder this grand and beautiful mystery and join our will, our obedience, and our place in the taxis of salvation as the body of Jesus Christ, our Lord, united with the Trinity who we celebrate today. Amen.